I will work day in and day out to wake up and smell the coffee. I want to return to the European Union. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Maria Fernandez-Garcia from the Right to Rome organisation. Welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thanks, Will. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to have you on. Now, um, the first question I'd like to ask is, do you think you could explain to the listeners what Right to Rome is? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a phrase that is used in many countries and it describes the right of people to roam across the landscape. So regardless of ownership of who actually owns that particular piece of land, people uh, have a right to access it. So they have a right to enjoy the hot time with their family. They have a right to learn about different aspects of nature. So exploring rivers, woodlands, marshlands, moors, um, mountains, all the M's. Um, But yeah, they have a right essentially to, to that nature. Um, in turn, there's a responsibility of that person to take care of that landscape. So with rights become responsibility, you know, this could be anything from uh, treading carefully, especially between, say, early spring and late summer, being cautious of ground nesting birds, um, as well as things like walking on the paths to reduce footfall on some um, more delicate areas. Uh, absolutely keeping dogs on leads in certain places too, if at all dogs are permitted in those areas. And so it's it's selective as well. It doesn't apply to areas that should be protected. Um, so for example, some some peat bogs, um, if those are endangered in that in that landscape, um, maybe other types of wetlands, places where there's um, either rich biodiversity that should be protective or uh, protected or um, or maybe more fragile ecosystems that, again, need protection so that they can regenerate. Um, so, yeah, it's essentially describing that that right of regardless of ownership where um, we have a right to be on that land. But, yeah, as I say, this comes with responsibility um, of protecting that landscape as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, could you just explain how Right to Rome started, uh, what caused the organisation to be set up in the first place? Yeah, sure. So this uh, this organisation was started originally by two of our founders, Guy and Nick. So Guy Shrubsoll, um, who was writing at the time, about two years ago, two, three years ago, um, Who Owns England, which is a book about land ownership and describing that, you know, a- around 50% of the land is owned by 1% of the population and essentially exposing the disparity of that ownership um, and how a lot of that has been through generations and generations of inheritance. And um, and then Nick was exposing the law of trespass as not a criminal offence. So he was writing a book that, see, that worked very much in tandem with Guy's The Book of Trespass, which was essentially his own journey crossing the lines that divide us and seeing that crossing of the lines as an act of rebellion, seeing what lies behind those lines, but also exposing that it's not actually a criminal offence, despite the signs, the endless signs that um, tell us that we shouldn't be there, In especially in England, they're pretty aggressive signs that say, you'll be prosecuted, there's lots of red and yellow colours. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess it was exposing that fact that actually it's not a criminal offence. Um, so yeah, they kind of connected over those two things. Uh, and, and why do you think um, it's important that people have the ability to to, to walk and, and roam freely in the countryside within, as, as, as you said, um, bearing in mind, um, in, in environmental uh, reasons, not in, in certain people, etc. Do you think it's important not just for physical well-being, but also for people's mental health, that their mental well-being as well, to be able to have that kind of uh, access to the countryside? Absolutely. Um, it's not even just a thought of mine. There's just countless evidence to show that exact case. Um, and not only just our access to nature, but our relationship. So whether we feel um, a sense of connection to that landscape is that there's so much more evidence coming out now um, to share that that is actually the reason uh, why it benefits our mental health. So it's kind of a non-discussion point in in a sense that it's so highly evidenced that that is the case. And now we're getting into the details of, yeah, essentially it is about that relationship. So um, the the point that we are coming from with the Right to Rome campaign is that we can't create relationship with something that we do not have access to. And if we're not creating relationship, then we're going to get declining mental health, which is exactly what we've seen um, in this country. So we've got mental health issues in the on the rise, especially in young people, you know, more and more disconnected from the natural world. Mm. Um, there's even some new evidence coming out to show that even in cases of ADHD, which is becoming um, more and more diagnosed, that it might not be attention deficit, but rather nature deficit. Because those um, those young people who are then put in a natural setting do not present with the same symptoms as they do in a box um, in a, in a classroom. So it's even just showing that it's about that quality of relationship with nature that can have such a huge benefit on yeah not only our physical health, um, so you know increasing our exercise and um, that sort of thing, but also um, incredibly powerful for our mental health with that connection. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And do you think as well that the um, awareness of people's mental health and the relationship it has to nature has become more apparent to a lot of people post-COVID and post the, the, the lockdowns where obviously people were um, much more restricted, had to spend a lot more time in their homes, particularly if they were living in cities where they didn't have access to the countryside. Do you think as we've we've come out on the other side of that, that people are more aware of the need of access to the countryside and also of the mental health benefits of having that access. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw it with like the take up of gardening, you know, people mm. having the time to spend time outside and people who had access to an outdoor space, even a very small balcony or patio, um, how their mental health was much better than, you know, outcomes for compared with other people who didn't have that access and were maybe only permitted to go out to the shops um, who weren't in walkable distance from a green space. So yeah, it's definitely become clearer as we were all forced to be inside for that period of time. And then, yeah, as I say, like people just absolutely desperate to get out. Um, and then I feel like it also made people realize how many places were actually accessible to them um, because it's vastly different as we go through um, the country, there's like certain um, constituencies that have a lot of access and then certain constituencies that have next to nothing yeah. um, in terms of access to green space or blue space. 
So I think it became really evident to people through lived experience rather than just through even like intellectual awareness, which I think really did embed it um, in people's understanding because they actually were living it and they could see um, the benefit, either the benefits that it had or um, the deficit and the the lack of it that they had. So yeah, definitely. I think it's since that it was um, yeah embodied in, in all of our experiences, it's become really clear. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you think you could... Uh, explain a bit about how the law has changed on the right to roam and, and the context behind the uh, Countryside and Rights of Way Act. Yeah, sure. So the Countryside of right and Rights of Way Act or the Crow Act, so that was established in 2000 um, and the same for, for Scotland. But for some reason in England, it was favoured with a default of exclusion so we were excluded from land regardless of ownership um, or, you know, taking into account that if you didn't own the land, then you weren't able to access that land. So that resulted in about 8% of England, which is designated as access land. Um, whereas in Scotland, for example, just to compare, we've got a default of access and then we've got exceptions to that. So it even within that 8%, um, that we do have in England, where 92% is off limits, private land, um, it's still really um, unequal. Mm. So, for example, we've got like the West Midlands has 0.3% of land area that's designated accessible. However, we've got like the North Yorks um, and yeah, other places in North Yorkshire which have more like 22%. So it really does vary depending on where you are. And so this kind of exacerbates this inequity um, between people's access. Again, like what we would have seen during COVID um, was that for some people, it was actually uh, not too bad because they could head outside and, and be in the middle of um, this, be this beautiful landscape. Um, so, yeah, the Countryside Rights of Way Act, it does give us that 8%. Um, but what the Right to Roam are calling for and is this more Scottish style of access. Still within that, there'll be exceptions. As I mentioned before, there'll still be exceptions with protected areas. Um, and we're really keen to work with nature organisations to make sure that we are um, really taking into account the protection that our wildlife needs, especially at this critical time. Um, so if anything, we're going to be calling for more protection in um, more areas, but definitely more than 8% and definitely to equal out this um, this disparity across the country so that everybody, no matter where you live, um, can walk out and not just feel like they're looking at wallpaper if they're looking at a nice landscape, like a beautiful landscape they want to explore. They can actually walk through it. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of how, that's what the Crow Act enabled um, and we are essentially calling for the Scottish side of things um, because it's worked really well there. And so we're, we're basically saying, well, why can't we have that? So, um, yeah, that's that's essentially what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, wild camping on Dartmoor has become a real focal point uh, for campaigning around um, the issue of um, access to the landscape. Uh, could you explain a bit about the context behind why wild camping was allowed on Dartmoor? and the legal fight that banned it before the, the right to, to wild camp was reinstated um, at appeal. Yeah, sure. So um, so in certain national parks and above a certain 
height. Um, it is legal to wild camp. However, in all other places in England, it is illegal um, to wild camp. It's punishable in, um, by prison sentence. It can be up to three months um, or you could get a hefty fine of um, between two and three thousand um, pounds. But this is um, this is sort of if you what we're, what we're kind of seeing with this particular case was that this landowner, so despite being in the national park where this things, these uh, activities were legal, this particular landowner, Alexander Darwell, wanted to ban it um, because he was making comments about litter and um, people sort of destroying his land. Um, we know that um, it is not from wild camping that the main issues of public um, of litter and of destruction of the landscape is not usually the wild campers. It could be fly camping, which is mm -hmm. sometimes happens uh, where people don't um, take care of the environment as such. But wild camping is an incredible way for people to reconnect um, with with land and for them to learn about themselves, to connect with nature. There's countless nature um youth organizations that go out there like the duke of edinburgh um and essentially this one landowner wanted to stop that from happening um which is why there was such an uproar about it um i guess because we didn't realize as a nation what was going to be lost until um until it was about to happen i don't even think that there were many people who knew um about the fact that you could do that in the first place mm. in Whitemore. So it was really, it was in a way, it was good for that it actually came to light and showed us that this is actually the last remaining place where it's legal. Um, and so now what we're calling for as a result of that um, is that all other national parks follow suit and do allow wild camping um, because we've, we've obviously been able to share how much public support there is for these kinds of experiences. And again, it's just going back to this nature connection this um this sense of well-being belonging a sense of resilience um that is just you're unable to replicate that unless you actually live through that mm. um, so i think that's essentially why the why the campaign through this became so big was because there were so many people whose lives had been transformed through that experience um and so yeah hence the legal um uproar and then the fight for that to be reinstated Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, changing the law on the right to roam, um, what have the major political parties said about it? So it's been largely mixed and relatively predictable, actually. So we've got the Tory um, party who have denied they don't want this at all. They do not agree with a right to roam Um We've then got the opposite in the Green Party. They've been really supportive and in favour. Um, bearing in mind the Green Party is a party that promotes the the like you know development and the improvement of our landscapes, our, our own connection to it. It's um, a party that is for the earth. So they're in favour of this. So it really does show um, that it's not it's not humans that and the everyday person that is going to destroy the landscape. And in fact, if we've got more eyes on these places, then we can stop some of the um, the activity that isn't so um, good for our environment that is happening behind closed doors. Um, 
So we've got, yeah, the Green Party that are in favour. We've um, Caroline Lucas, I know she's left now, but she's a big supporter of the campaign. Um, and then we have parties like Labour who have shown their support. Um, but since there's been a reshuffle, it's kind of a bit unclear um, recently uh, how much of that they are going to stick to. Um, and then we have um, the Lib Dems. So they've recently had a big campaign push towards our river health. Um, and so I've been on board in that sense because the right to roam would, would apply to rivers and, um, you know, we're really keen on showing a positive trace. So like it's a right to roam so that we can actually learn how to take care of our landscape altogether. Shouldn't be just down to like the landowner. We believe that like it should be everyone's responsibility to take care of the health of the landscape around them. Um, so yeah, so Lib Dems have been um, keen on that side of things, um, but it's not necessarily clear what their stance is on um, a right to roam act but that being said we are currently finalizing uh, a right to roam act um, we've essentially gone from the scottish um, land reform act and adapted it for england so we're essentially doing a lot of this behind the scenes work we've got our lawyers on um, who are working and drafting a, a bill that could be passed legitimately so with that we're gonna open it out to other organizations to get their opinions um, to work out where are the gaps that we're missing and also get some get some advice on some wildlife um, and, you know, people's interaction with those things as well to make sure that we're, like, protecting those areas that need protection. Um, so, yeah, we're working behind the scenes to to support each of the parties um, so that they can use what we're, what we're stating in their legislation should they wish to, to join us on board. Do you think it's a case that... Um... Uh, perhaps with with some of the political parties, that the right to roam is maybe something that hasn't been put to the um, forefront with them in the past, and that's perhaps why they've um, not been as as committed to it. Or, or, or do you think that just because of the um, the nature of um, right to roam and, and and some of the the changes that that would mean to to access and 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 to obviously the impact that would have on on, on some landowners, that that's why. Uh, some of the political parties are a bit um, perhaps cautious in, in, in regards to um, supporting right to right. Yeah, it's it's totally understandable as in um, there's a lot of misunderstanding or I guess like a lot of unknowns mm. with potential right to roam because it isn't something that we've until now had an actual um, legislation for. It's really unclear what the promises would be. So I feel like there's a lot of parties who aren't clear what exactly they would be agreeing to. Um, so hence why we're doing a lot of um, a lot of work, a lot of conversations and trying to share what this would actually mean. Um, we're also in contact with the Farmers Union and the National Farmers Union. And we are um, really working hard to make sure that, you know, how can we make something in, in legislation that actually benefits farmers as well, um, that takes into account landowners and farmers and people who already have so many pressures on them um, to take care of that land. We want this to be um, something that alleviates some of those pressures for them. Mm. So there's a lot of work going on in, in the background, like I say, with building these connections and also welcome to anyone listening like to get in touch with the campaign if they have um, anything to share and things that we might be missing. Um, because we really want to welcome this as a as a collective conversation because, yeah, it's definitely a mix of those two things. So firstly, it hasn't been brought up in the past 
Um, you know, we've sort of had the Crow Act and maybe no one's really challenged that. Um, and then, yeah, again, we sort of want to make sure that there's there's more clarity over what exactly would be involved in the Right to Roam Act yeah. uh, so that both legislators um, and, you know, as I say, farmers and landowners feel that they, they know exactly what it's going to mean. Um, because in our conversations so far, there's a lot of fear um, and it's a lot of fear because of the unknown. And so we're really here to to try and dispel that fear, to try and like have these conversations and make sure that this is better for people and planet and, and landowner. So yeah, just just connect, make sure that everyone is connected. It's definitely not an, an either or thing. So um, so yeah, it's definitely something we're working towards. But in a nutshell, I, I agree. It's the unknown and that mm-hmm. is scary, but we're, we're trying to dispel that. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, finally, th- thank you for um, taking taking the time to speak to me but but finally if someone wants to get involved um with the right to roam how can they get involved so there's a few different ways um i mean the first would be to have a look uh in your area even physically um going out there but just having a bit of doing a bit of research in terms of how much land is actually accessible near you um maybe you want to create um a group near you so we have local groups dotted around the country um but it's also you know welcome everybody to just join with their community um and learn about land justice in their area who does own the land in the area um how you know how much right to roam do you have um as i mentioned there are some constituencies in in, in england where they there literally is none um so first it would be to sort of like learn about your own um right to roam where you are um, and then join a local group, create a local group yourself um, and essentially explore that land. As I mentioned, you know, trespass is not a criminal offence. It's a civil offence. So if you were to go onto somebody's land um, with the exception of obviously, you know, private gardens and croplands and things. um, But if you wanted to explore a local woodland um, near you and if you're asked to leave um, and you leave, then there is nothing um that can be done it's not a criminal offense in that sense so i would say to definitely explore your local area um and then yeah join a local group and and start learning about land justice where you are mm-hmm. absolutely well thank you once again for taking um the time to speak to me maria if people want to find out more about you and more about um right to roam where should they go to to find out more so they can go on to uh right to uk. Um, or they can find us on social media channels as well. Um, we're always up for conversation, so definitely people get in touch. We've also got a, a page on our website where it has a little bit more information about getting involved, um, what our local groups have been up to. We've also got uh, lots of different resources there for you to explore and map out um, the area where you live too. So, so, yeah, we're always up for conversation, so definitely welcome people to get in touch and connect, um, and we can connect you with other people um, who've got in touch near you as well. So, yeah, we're looking to connect people up and, and help you empower people to learn. <laughs> well, hopefully um, there'll be a few people listening who will do um, just that. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Great. Thanks, Will. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast. Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast 
at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.